Hey, good morning, and so glad that you are here. Uh, thanks for joining us for worship today, and, and grateful that you're here. If you're a guest, we want to say a special welcome to you, uh, guest in person or online, either one. We're grateful that you're here. We'd love to connect with you, and we can do that in one of a couple ways. Uh, one way is there should be a card in the pew back in front of you. You can fill that information out. At the end of service, you can either leave it in the pew there where you're at, or you can leave an offering plate as we leave today. Uh, or if you're online or in person, if you, this is your preference, you can go to our website, sbcr.org, and there's a button that says, I'm new, and click that button and fill that information out. And both of those ways are just an opportunity for us to get to know a little bit about you, know how we might be able to serve you and or your family, and just grateful that you've chosen to be with us today. And so... I uh, just want to make you aware of a few things that are happening in the life of our church. Uh, first of all, be with us tonight at 5 o'clock um, as we continue our study on prayer and, and um, just be with us during that time. Uh, also, a couple things that are happening, if you'll take note in your bulletin there, um, the uh, contribution statements from 2022 are, if you'll excuse my pointing, um, over here at the Ministry Opportunities Desk. And so you can go by there and pick up your contribution envelope there, um, your statement, and, and that's available to you. Um, the 45th Annual uh, Right to Life March is happening on January 22nd. And so if you're interested in being a part of that or want more information, you can see uh, Brother Steve Overton and he can get you some more information and let you know about some details as it relates to that. Also, on January 29th, a couple things are happening. First of all, immediately following our worship service, uh, that Sunday morning down in the reception hall, I'm going to be hosting a meeting giving information about uh, a mission trip to Ghana, Africa this year. And so if you're interested in just knowing more information, what that looks like, and all the details related to that, I hope you'll make plans to, to be here that morning and then stay afterwards and, and attend that meeting. It, it is time for us to really get an idea of who is all interested, give you some information, and start uh, really working to plan uh, for that event. And then that same Sunday night, we are uh, working to have a meeting with all of you that are involved with ministry teams um, and we'll be getting some more information out to you that night. Um, that Sunday night, we'll plan to meet. Um, I'll sort of cast some vision for our ministry teams and our calendar, all that sort of thing, and then have you meet as well. And so looking forward to that. Um, I know that's several things. There's other things in your, um, in your bulletin there. If you'll take note of those things and, and mark those on your calendar, plan to be a part of those things that um, you wish to be a part of. And so um, excited this morning to get to worship together. Uh, in just a few moments, we're going to spend a, a moment in prayer. Um, and, and I don't know about you this morning, but, but for me, even walking in this morning, just, man, I, I'm not trying to, to cause any alarm or anything like that, but man, just, just sense a, a, a spiritual attack this morning. Um, I mean, listen, I, the Bible says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. And the enemy hates everything about this morning. 
The enemy hates the idea that his creation is going to sing and worship him. The enemy hates that the word of God is going to be proclaimed this morning. The enemy hates that the gospel will be proclaimed. The enemy hates that you're here this morning. Um, and so it's no wonder that there's a sense of an attack. But the Bible says this. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Um, and now here's the deal. The Bible says that, that in Jude, uh, Jude 9 says, Michael the archangel would not bring a railing accusation against the enemy, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The, the power and authority is in the Lord. I mean, it, Satan will eat my lunch every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Um, but the reality is, is that because of the power of the Holy Spirit, man, God gives us victory. The Lord gives us victory. And so I don't know what's going on in your lives today. I don't know. Uh, maybe you're struggling this morning as well, and, and whatever the case may be. I just want to challenge us these next few moments. I'm going to lead us through a time of prayer, and I would just encourage you to be as locked in and focused in these next few minutes. And God may give us some clarity. God may give us some wisdom, and God may give us some freedom to worship the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so if you would, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And would you just pray this back to the Lord, uh, th this submit to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Would you just anew and afresh say, God, I, man, I, I submit myself to you totally and freely and without reservation. I'm totally yours. And God, I pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd resist the evil one this morning. And God, I pray that your spirit would be present here because we know where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God, I pray that we would have freedom to worship you, God, in spirit and in truth. God, that we would have freedom to declare that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are the great I am and you are the good shepherd. God, that your creation would take the very breath in our lungs that you've given us this morning and use it not to tear deep people down, not to criticize, uh, not to cast blame, not to uh, respond in fear, but that we would declare that you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of our praise this morning. And God, I pray you would inhabit the praises of your people. I pray there would be freedom, God. There would be unity this morning. I pray the Spirit of God would encourage, it would strengthen, it would rebuke, it would bring conviction. And God, I pray that you would use it to change our lives this morning. And God, that you would have freedom to speak to us, to, uh, to correct us, to instruct us, to train us this morning. And God, that we would leave this place today different than the way we came in because we've met with a holy God. God, you're worthy of it all this morning. God, prepare our hearts. Give us freedom. And we pray in the matchless, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Stand as we sing, Love Lifted Me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained. 
thought my sin was too much When I say I'm not good enough When I think it won't be restored Jesus will leave me Oh, when nothing else could help Found 
Bible, and I hope that you do, would you turn to the book of Nehemiah in chapter 10? Nehemiah in chapter 10. Forged by adversity. In times of war, uncertainty, there's a special breed of warrior ready to answer our nation's call. A common man with uncommon desires to succeed, forged by adversity, he stands alongside America's finest special operator forces to serve his country 
the American people and protect their way of life, I am that man. My trident is a symbol of honor and heritage bestowed upon me by the warriors who have gone before me. It embodies the trust of those I have sworn to protect. By wearing the trident, I accept the responsibility of my chosen profession and way of life. It is a privilege that I earn every day. My loyalty to country and team is beyond reproach. I humbly serve as a guardian to my fellow Americans, always ready to defend those who are unable to defend themselves. I do not advertise the nature of my work, nor seek recognition for my actions. I voluntarily accept the inherent hazards of my profession, placing the welfare and security of others above my own. I serve with honor on and off the battlefield, the ability to control my emotions and my actions, regardless of circumstances, sets me apart from other men. Uncompromising integrity is my standard. My character and honor are steadfast. My word is my bond. We expect to lead and be led. In the absence of orders, I will take charge, lead my teammates, and accomplish the mission. I lead by example in all situations. I will never quit. I persevere and thrive on adversity. My nation expects me to be physically harder and mentally stronger than my enemies. If knocked down, I will get back up every time. I will draw on every remaining ounce of strength to protect my teammates and to accomplish our mission. I am never out of the fight. We demand discipline. We expect innovation. The lives of my teammates and the excess of our mission depends on me. My technical skill, tactical proficiency, and attention to detail. My training is never complete. We train for war and fight to win. I stand ready to bring the full spectrum of combat, combat power to bear in order to achieve my mission and the goals established by my country. The execution of my desires will be swift and violent when required, yet guided by the very principles that I serve to defend. Brave men have fought and died building the proud tradition and feared reputation that I am honored, I'm bound to uphold. In the worst of conditions, the legacy of my teammates' steadiness, my resolve, and silently guides my, my every deed. I will not fail. The covenant of a Navy SEAL. This morning, I want to talk to you about a covenant that the people of Nehemiah's day committed to. And we as Americans are forever indebted to individuals who have taken such creeds, such covenants to defend our nation. Some of you have made that commitment, and I'm grateful. But this morning as we gather together and we look at this covenant that the people of Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah's day, the people of God, did not covenant together to protect a nation or to defend a specific homeland. Rather, they covenanted together in their commitment to the one true God, in their commitment to follow His ways and be obedient to Him. And so this morning, we will look, as one writer put it, to see a people who covenanted together to a covenant of God. And we'll further 
discuss that and look at that this morning. And so this morning, I want to preach to you a message that I've titled, Return or Bust. There are any Oregon Trail fans like the, the Oregon Trail game? Do you remember this? Um, uh, some of you are too ashamed to admit it. That's all right. That's okay. I know your age group, and I know, I know what you played at Library Day or whatever it is, right? Um, but this idea, obviously, in the mid-1800s, the Oregon Trail opened up, and it was this access to the West. And so uh, year after year after year, man, more and more people gathered, and then uh, all of us 80s and early 90s kids, uh, uh, maybe a few late 70s, introduced to the Oregon Trail computer game and what exhilarating... Uh, time it was, all these um, uh, chicken pox and all these different diseases you would get along the way. But nonetheless, return or bust. And the idea is that the people of God have, have returned. The exiles have come back and Ezra has been working to restore the temple and restore the worship. Um, Nehemiah has led the people to rebuild the wall and they're doing some things. Remember, we've been talking about that they've been under conviction. Man, the Word of God is restored. The Torah is read. People are under conviction. And, and there were some holy days that had to be observed. So they kind of had to hit pause on the full encompassing, the full reaction of the repentance that they need to exhibit. And then we looked last week, and, and there they were. Man, they're, they're, they're heeding the Word of God. They're, uh, man, they're, they're following the Word of God. They're worshiping the Lord, and they are fully engaged in God-led, Spirit-led conviction. And so we ended just shy of chapter 10 uh, last week because I believe the last verse uh, sets the stage, if you will, for chapter 10. And so what I'm going to do this morning is, and I've already been asked if you've taken a peek, there's a lot of names at the first part of chapter 1. And so for the sake of not insulting them and not uh, me butchering a bunch of, of names, what I'm going to read is I'm going to read the very last verse of chapter 9, and then we're going to skip down to verse 28 of chapter 10 and read the remainder of the chapter. And so if you're willing and you're able, will you stand with me in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Verse 38 of chapter 9. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. And if you'll skip down chapter 10, beginning verse 28. Now the rest of the people... The, uh, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nephanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the people of the lands of the, to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with the brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given to Moses by the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God, Lord our Lord, and His ordinances and His statutes. Verse thirty: We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forgo the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. 
Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offerings of the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sign offerings, excuse me, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests and the Levites and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at the appointed times year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of the all trees year by year to the house of the Lord to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle as it is written in the law the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God the, to the priest to minister in the house of our God to bring the first fruits of our dough our offerings the fruit from all kinds of trees the new wine and oil to the priests to the storerooms of the house of our God and to the to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priests and the descendants of Aaron shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouses. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, of the new wine and the oil and the, to the storerooms, where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. Let me pray. Precious Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray you would teach us this morning. God, I pray, Spirit, that you would speak in and through me. Give me every word, nothing more, nothing less. God, you be glorified. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning, this sermon called Return or Bust, and we are reading, we are looking at this covenant, these people of God who are covenanting together, coming together, agreeing that they are returning to the covenant of God. They're returning to the Torah. They're returning to the, to the word of God that he had laid out for them. And so the main idea this morning, if you're taking notes, is total devotion is the only way to return to the Lord. We've been talking about this. Remember, this is in the context of our series called The Return. And it's after even the building of the wall, and it's after many of the exiles have come back that we're looking at this and, and we're calling it The Return because it's not about just the people coming back to a geographical location, but it's rather about a spiritual people who have separated themselves and they've gotten far from God. And so uh, a lot of things have been put in place. There's been a lot of things that are prepared and ready for the people of God to get right with God. But here now, the, it, what's happened is we've had a transition where we stop looking at all the physical things that need to be done. And we're talking about the spiritual components that these people need to return to the Lord. And so that is what we've been studying the last few weeks of how these individuals, how these, the people have been under conviction uh, um, by the Word of God, that the men of God have been leading them and they're observing these feasts and these 
uh, these holy days that they hadn't been observing the way that they should. And so there's this restoration of worship. There's this process that is taking place. And as they've been experiencing the conviction of God, what's happened now this morning is they realize, go, man, we need to, we need to sign on the dotted line. We need to be committed to this thing. Uh, because, right, it's easy for us to give lip service. It's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Or, I, you know, in these commitments to ourselves, it, it, it's easy to do that. And because it's easy to do, let's be quite honest with one another, it's easy to break. How many times do we tell ourselves, oh, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that. And how many times do we fail to do that? We fail to, to, to take that step to fulfill that. Um, but here's what's happening is that these individuals are under extreme conviction and they want to commit. They want to agree together, covenant together of going, man, I'm putting my name out there. And so uh, the idea is total devotion is the only way to return to the Lord. There's no way to half-heartedly return to God. There's no such thing as half-hearted revival. There's no, there's no such thing of kind of getting back right with God. It doesn't work that way. That idea, of, it, it, it is in direct violation of the basic titles of the, of the Lord. The Lord. The Lord means He's master, He's ruler, He's boss at all. You don't kind of follow your boss's orders and you be employed very long. You don't kind of do what your job says you have to do and you're employed very long, but somehow we've convinced ourselves that I can half-heartedly follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the boss of all bosses, and I can sort of nestle up close and draw back and nestle up close and have this half-hearted devotion. It doesn't work that way. And so it's all in or all out. It is total devotion to return to the Lord or bust. And so the question is this morning, are you ready to totally return to the Lord? Are you ready to kind of stop playing the game? Are you ready to kind of stop being halfway in and halfway out? In the world of athletics, we say it this way, are you ready to fully buy in? And commit. So there are four truths I want us to see from our text this morning. And so number one, we must return to our commitment to the Word of God. The centrality of the truth, the centrality of the rally cry, the centrality of what they are focused on this morning is one thing, and it is the Word of God. I want you to listen to what the text says this morning. Uh, in 938, and says, because of this, look at this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Then what happens in the next uh, chapter 10, 1 through 27, we get an entire list of individuals who are named or called out by name that they signed on the dotted line. They committed 
I mean, there's weight to that, right? Yes, we want to be people of our word, but the reality is when we go uh, make a purchase or we go sign up, man, there's something different whenever we write our name down. And that's what's happening here is it's saying, man, we've got a group of people saying, we're going to covenant, we're going to get this thing right. And we've got some leaders that step up and man, they're writing their name on the dotted line. They're signing the check. Now it's not exhaustive. It's not everybody, and we're going to see that in just a moment. Listen to verse 28. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God. So hit pause right there. So what happens is there's a significant group of people that write their name down. They, they sign their name on the dotted line, and then in verse 28, what, what happens is Nehemiah gives us an understanding that this, this isn't everybody. And now it likely means that not everybody committed to this. Because we got the signing of some names, and then he talks about the rest of the people uh, that were unnamed. And there's a commitment here that they've got, they're, they're covenanting together, they're committed together, they're in agreement that this is what we're doing. Now, what are they committing to? We'll continue on. So he says, now the rest of the people, and he lists people, and he says, all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands, look at this, to the law of God. If you mark or underline your Bible, circle, mark, underline that. The law of God. And the word that is used there is this word, Torah. T-O-R-A-H, Torah. And for us, and, and for them, as we understand that, that's the first five books of the Bible. And this was the, the word of God that was given through Moses. And, and, and man, it's this historical picture of everything from creation all the way leading up to the covenant that God made with his people. That if I, you will make me, if you will follow me and be obedient, be your God, you will be my people and I will bless you. That's the covenant that's made. Saying, here's what I'm calling you to do. And as you fulfill that, I am faithful to you. I am faithful to that. And the reality is, what do we learn? That they're not able to keep it, yet God in His goodness and His kindness is still faithful. He still calls them His people. He is still, He is covenanted to them. He is bound by His own word. He's the one that signed the dotted line. And, and, all, and throughout the history of the Israelites, He continues to be faithful even when the Israelites are not. And so what's happening here is the people of God saying, we're under conviction, we missed it, we've sinned against you, but we want to make this right. And what we're doing is we are committing, we are making a covenant to keep the covenant. That's what's happening. And it is a renewed commitment to the word of God. He says, themselves for the peoples of the lands to the law of God. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. Now, if you look back in the list, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nephanim, and then all those who separated themselves from the peoples of the land. Remember, a few chapters ago, there was conviction because one of the things that the people of God were told not to do is they were not to marry uh, a people who did not worship the one true God. That's the idea that's there. Separate themselves from the people's land. That these people that they had chosen to marry were ones that were worshipped idols. It's not a race issue, it's a God issue. 
It's an idol issue that's happening here that he is addressing. Look at verse 29. These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. Isn't that fascinating? They understand the weight and gravity of committing to something and not being faithful to it. Nehemiah calls it here a curse and an oath. He goes on, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. What's the commitment? We are going to read, hear, know, and do the word of God as the word of God commands. That's it. That's the covenant. That everybody who's able to understand, everybody who's able to, to, to know what's going on, the Word of God is going to be taught. The Word of God is going to be read. The Word of God is going to be obeyed. That's the commitment. And can I just tell you, friend, listen, as simple as that sounds, as simplistic as that is, going, man, that's nothing profound. That's not. To, but I'm telling you, friends, if you and I want to see God at work and active in our lives, you and I need the same commitment that we are going to read understand and apply the Word of God to our lives. That simple. That is revival. That is renewal. Is going as much and as simplistic as it may sound, I'm going to read this book because it is the very Word of God. It has life and it has power and it will change my life and it will make me more like Him. And that means I'm going to read it every day. It means I'm going to be in a small group where I can study it and know it more and apply it to my life. It means I'm going to be faithful to church where I hear the preaching of the Word of God because God does something supernatural through the preaching of His Word. And I'm going to hear it and I'm going to heed it. I'm going to apply it to my life. And it is going, it is going to be my life book. It is going to be my instruction manual. It is going to give me direction and purpose in life. And friends, that's what we need. We need a renewed commitment to the Word of God. We need it as a church family going, man, this is going to govern what we do. This is going to direct what we do. This is going to instruct us on who we are as a church. This is going to tell us what matters and what's important. And so, and listen, if y'all don't think this is important, just last night, how many of you are familiar with Charles Stanley, Dr. Charles Stanley? Several of you, okay? At least heard him. I mean, one of the world's best Bible teachers. God's, God's hand is on him. How many of you know Andy Stanley, his son? There's a few of you. Just this week, came out with his video, Pastors of Mega Church. And just this week came out with some teaching that somehow now for adults, when talking to them about the importance of life and the matters of life, that, that somehow now it's irrelevant for us to start with the Bible. That this really doesn't have value to speak to the issues of life the way that we once thought it did. Friends, that is just good old-fashioned liberalism. 
It's not even repackaged. The moment we begin to think we, this is undermined, this is of no value, that this can't speak to my everyday life, that this can't instruct me in 2023 the way that it did in 23, we've got issues. We're headed down a terrible road. And at that point, we have no authority and we have no basis for truth. All truth then becomes subjective. But friend, can I remind you this morning, truth is not subjective. This is the ultimate truth. Everything, everything is subject to the Word of God. And honestly, whether I believe that or you believe it or whether I don't or you don't, doesn't change that truth and that reality. And so if we're going to return to the Lord wholeheartedly, we need to return with our commitment to the Lord. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119.9 The word of God directs us. The word of God instructs us. All right. So number one, we must return to our commitment to the word of God. Number two, we must renew what is sacred to the Lord. There's this renewal of what is sacred to the Lord. Look at verse 30. Remember, they're committing to the Word of God. Now, now some things change. They're, they're addressing where they've been wrong. They're addressing where they've messed up, where they've sinned against the Lord. Verse 30, We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Again, what's happening there? It's not about a race issue. It's about a holiness issue. It's about an issue of who they're worshiping, who they're serving. That's the idea. Verse 31, If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forgo the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. And so there are three things, three specific areas in which they identify here they had, what, in terms of what is sacred to the Lord and that they've not been careful with. And those three are first themselves, dealing with not giving our daughters and not taking their daughters the Sabbath and the land. That's the idea that's here. And so this is what's sacred unto the Lord. So the idea of themselves that here they are. They were the covenant people of God. They were the people that were set, that was set aside going, God is covenant with us. He is agreed, man. We serve him. We worship him. And God's hand of blessing will be upon us. And we'll experience the mercy and the grace of God. And somewhere along the way, they forgot. They left their God. It began with leaving the word of God and holding to the word of God. And then along the way, they begin to dabble in these things. They begin to go, well, it's not that big a deal if, if my wife worships the one true God or if she worships somebody else. It's not that big a deal. This husband, uh, whether he worships the one true God or not, or, 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 or um, whether he worships Baal, that's not important. And what had happened is there had become this infiltration of, of this idolatry within the people of God. And the people of God were set apart, were to be set apart for God Himself. And so there's this renewal of what is sacred, and it begins with themselves of going, look, we've allowed ourselves 
to be polluted, if you will, and I don't mean that in any other way, then there's been this idolatry that has kept in. There's been these foreign ideas and these foreign gods that have crept in, and there's not these people. They're no longer holy and set apart unto the Lord. And can I tell you, dear friends, this is a message that we need today is that not only in today, man, we can turn anything into an idol, but if you have been blood-bought, born-again believer, you and I are to worship the one true God. He alone is our, worth, our worthy, uh, worth our praise and, and worth our time and worth our energy and our effort. And man, we get distracted by so many things and we get uh, um, uh, just beat down and, and, and man, just taken away by so many things of this life. And what the people of God are doing, saying, man, as we return to the Lord, and it's fascinating to me that here it is, that the value of life is turned up as they return to the Lord. The value of themselves and being committed to the things of God is turned up as they look to the Word of God. And friend, can I say to you, I believe unequivocally, the more that you dig in, the more that you commit to the Word of God, the value of your life and the value of every life, in our eyes, it becomes more and more and more. And not, I don't mean that in a way that somehow we become inexpendable in, in the sense that, man, God's got to have me or these people have got to have me. I, I don't mean that way at all. This is what I mean. What I mean is, as we begin to look around and look at one another and realize the more we understand of the word is that you and I, every person sitting in this room, are a part of God's special creation. That as you look at the six days of creation, he said, let it be, and it was. He said, let it be, and it was. He said, he spoke all things into existence, but there's one part of his creation that he bent down, and pardon the, the terrible phrasing, but he got his hands dirty. He got involved, and that's when he created mankind. And what it does is it reminds us that you and I are set apart. You and I are different. There is one aspect of God's creation that are the image bearers of God, and it is mankind. And it's because of that that every human life has an unmatched value. All the way from the womb to the very end of life. All of life matters. And friend, the Word of God is under assault. It will always be under assault because it is the standard of truth. And because it's under assault, we live in a day and time where the nicest way to put it is human life is under attack. The value of human life is under attack. Now let me hit pause and say this whether online or in person, if there's any person in this room that has been involved with, been a part of, or had an abortion, let me say this unequivocally clearly. 
Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. And there is forgiveness at the foot of the cross. I, as a pastor of this church, I unequivocally, apart from the grace and mercy of God, deserve the full wrath of God, and I deserve hell. So in no way would I dare stand here and speak about something without realizing the weight of grace and mercy in which God has extended to me. In the same grace and mercy, God can and will extend to you. Amen? And at the same time, because I read and have a commitment to the Word of God, and because you and I must read and have a commitment to the things of God, we have to hold these issues in going. It is very clear in which the Word of God speaks and how the Word of God values and speaks about human life. And you and I have a responsibility to do all that we can to make sure we uphold the value of human life. Yet at the same time, we need to communicate clearly there is forgiveness and mercy and grace in Jesus. And here they are. They are renewing what is sacred. They are renewing what is sacred. And first they, they draw a circle and they get in it and they go, man, I, I've been set apart for the Lord. You and I were created to worship God. We were created for God. The Bible says in Acts 17 that, uh, that we were created in the hope that we might seek Him and, and long after Him, that we might worship Him. That's why you and I were created. That's why every human was created because you and I were created with the unique ability to surrender to the Lord Jesus and worship Him and bring Him glory and honor as His redeemed people. And so if we're going to return to the Lord, we return to the Word of God. We return what is sacred. And first, they, it was themselves, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You and I need to have a responsibility as we see the people of God from Nehemiah's day going, man, they upheld what was sacred. They, they cling to the Lord. They said, man, there's something we're living for. There's something in which God is calling us to. And as a people of God, we have a responsibility to do all that we can, that we need to uphold the value of human life. And then secondly... First themselves, then the Sabbath. The Sabbath, look um, at verse 31. It says, If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forgo the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. And so what is he addressing here? Undoubtedly, they were, they were kind of trying to to bend the law a little bit. There was to be this Sabbath in which no work was to be done, and, and it's just a day in which they're able to reflect on God and reflect on the Lord and, and what He's doing in their lives and, and take a rest from six days. It's a, it's a model of the six, day, or the six days of creation. God rested on the Sabbath. And so 
Um, here we have this. Undoubtedly, they were, they were kind of blurring the line a little bit. They were not necessarily working, but they were doing a little horse swapping. They weren't necessarily working, but they were willing to, to exchange some money and, and, and all these sorts of things. And so, like, man, we're not technically working, but that's what they're doing. And so here as they return to the Word of God, they return to this commitment, they, they draw the circle, and first, we've got to deal with ourselves, man, we're, we're to be set apart for the Lord, and then secondly, man, we've not been observing the Sabbath, we've not been taking our day of rest, and, and we've just been blurring the lines a little bit. And now here's the thing, is under the new covenant for you and I, go, man, how does this matter, what does this matter? The reality is, is that I believe that um, and God has set up a model in which we may not observe a specific day, but I do believe there's a biblical model that you and I ought to follow, that we ought to work hard on these six days and, and have a day in which we set aside to worship the Lord, to focus on the things of God, and not to do work in. And man, we live in a culture and a society that says, if you're going to get in head, you better pour out everything you have every day of the week. Every hour you can pour into, you better do it or you're not going to get ahead. You're not going to be the boss. You're not going to be the leader. You're not going to be this. And friends, I'm telling you, it's a reason why some of the things of depression and anxiety and, and burnout and so, all these sorts of things that are happening in our culture, I'm not pointing it all just back to a Sabbath day of rest, but I am saying we live in a vicious world with a vicious cycle that you and I were not created to, to man, constantly be on go every day of the week uh, um, throughout the rest of our lives and not struggle and not have a hard time. And so you and I need to have time where we pull away, where we have time to rest, where we separate from our work and we have time to reflect on what God's doing in our lives, to give our devotion unto him, to focus in on him. Jesus reminds us in Mark 2, 27, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What's he saying here is that the Pharisees were very legalistic, that you better do this and this. And what Jesus is trying to remind them is going, this was created that it might help man. It, man was not created to serve the Sabbath. That's the idea that's there. And so God has given us this model and God has given us these things in place because it's in your and my best interest. Hey, listen to me. This, is, this isn't an A-me part. This is an O-me. Because I love, love what God has called me to do. I love it. And I, I love pastoring. I love preaching. I, listen, y'all look at me till I like to eat, but I'd rather preach and eat. And for a Baptist, that's saying something. I get a witness. You can say amen, but I know. <laughs> I've been to potluck with you. <laughs> I go last. That way I don't feel bad about getting all I want. <laughs> and so, friend, I, I can identify but I also know this. Man, I want to run my race well. And I want to finish well. And that means there's times. There's always something to do. And there's not many jobs in this world that when you go home, you go home, right? Most jobs, there's, there's something waiting on you. 
There's something that, that's got to be done. Most, most professions I know are that way. And friend, I think when we, we work ourselves to the end, we're communicating to God, God, I'm, I'm, I'm just a big deal. And it won't be done without me. And what I believe I want, uh, the Lord wants us to see is that if you and I will, will protect time in which we rest, in which we get away, God will give us grace to get more accomplished in six days than we can in seven. Because I believe God honors, and that when we honor his principle, when we do it his way, God takes care of us. God blesses us. God provides. So, that which is sacred, first themselves, the Sabbath. And then look at um, verse 31 again. He says, if the people of the lands uh, brought wares and any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. And we would forgo the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Do you remember this is why they were in exile? Because God had told them that when you get into the land, it's a good land, it, it's fruitful, and it, it brings a lot of produce. He says, look, he said, you, you cultivate, you work it for six years, and on the seventh year, you give it rest. You don't do anything to it. You leave it alone, and they didn't do it. Right? And so, man, there they went, and next thing you know, they're in exile 70 years as a result of condemnation from from not doing this. And what the people of God, as they return back to God, man, we're falling victim to the, some of the very same things that, that our ancestors did, the very reason they were in exile. And so they're going, man, we're committing to doing things the way that God wants us to. And again, I think the principle is true. What we just talked about with the Sabbath is that God blesses the six years in such a way so that there can be a year of rest in which that land is then ready to produce enough to provide the seventh year. And we see God do it and God provide and God sustain. Do you remember the days of Joseph when, when man, the, the, the famine is coming and God gives him a vision? And what happens is, is that God gives Joseph wisdom and such a way that the land produces so much and he takes up and he stores up and he's able to sustain and that's what God wants to do on a year by uh, uh, on a continual basis for us as we understand going man it's ultimately it's not our ability to plant to fertilize to till to harvest but rather it is the Lord who provides the harvest and you and I need to live in such a way of going, man, we're doing all that we can to serve the Lord, to live according to His Word, and then we just trust Him. We just trust that He's God and He's able to provide. Second Chronicles 36.21 says, To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had, to, uh, had enjoyed her Sabbath as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill the 70 years. This is the judgment that they had fell under. So they, it was about what was sacred unto the Lord. What was set apart. And so friend, you and I, you and I, got to renew our commitment to the Word of God and renew our commitment to what is set apart to the things of God. That the word of God determines the value of human life. 
The people of God had separated themselves. Why? Because they didn't want to be in, in, intermarried with individuals, one worshiping God, one serving a false God. How were they going to fulfill Deuteronomy 6 to train their children in the way of the Lord when there's competing gods, a false God and a true God in the same house. It wasn't going to happen. This biblical model is there for us, Ephesians 5 and, and so on, talking about the importance of us. Listen, those of you thinking about getting married, the number one qualification if you're going to marry somebody is do they know and love Jesus? That's, that's number one priority. Has to be. Because if they don't, then you have a competing God. You have competing idols in your house, and you're never going to be able to serve the Lord. The idea of biblical marriage is to reflect, it's to, to, to demonstrate the picture of Jesus loving the church. If there's not unity in who you serve in your household, you're never going to be able to picture that. You're never going to be able to model that. Then you can't fulfill the very purpose in which marriage was created for. And it's set apart to the Lord in this biblical model of one man with one woman created and, and serving the Lord to picture this model in which God has created us. And they set themselves apart unto the Lord. So, we don't have time for me to get to the rest of it this morning. But you and I, more than ever before, have to be fully devoted to the Word of God and keeping what is sacred, sacred unto the Lord. Ourselves, the value of human life, the reality of us serving one Lord, Man, having times where we rest and trust the Lord to provide in a way that only He can. Now listen, let me say this. The other days, we ought to work. We ought to work hard. The Bible says a man doesn't work, shouldn't eat. So the key to the Sabbath is that we're working hard the other days of the week. But we work hard and we rest. Now, Sabbath, I don't believe, in my opinion, is, is just sitting in a wooden chair in a closet all by yourself all day. Um, we can talk about that another time. But, but a day in which it refuels us, it helps us focus on the Lord, it gives us strength, it sustains us, it fills us back up. And those days of Sabbath may look different between you and I. But are you ready? To fully return to the Lord. Maybe you've been far from the Lord. And you, but friend, it may be this. That you've never surrendered your heart and life to Jesus. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. If God has given you breath in your lungs, and man, there's conviction over your sin, that you are a sinner separated from a holy God, it is not too late for you to be saved. If you'll surrender to Him with all of your heart, all of your life, the Bible says that He'll save you. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Save God is a promiser that says if you'll return to him, if you'll surrender your heart and life to him, he'll save you. So if you would, if you bow your head and close your eyes this morning. If you're here this morning saying, Pastor, I, 
I'm, I, I need to be saved. I need to ask Jesus to save me. I would encourage you to pray. Say, Lord, forgive me. Be the boss of my life. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do, and I'll be what you want me to be. Forgive me, Lord Jesus, and save me. I ask in Jesus' name. Now, you made an attitude of prayer. God dealt with your heart about the message this morning. Maybe, maybe you just prayed a moment ago and you asked the Lord to save you. We're going to have a time of invitation allow you to respond. Or maybe you know that you're saved. Man, there's just been some things going on in your life that you need to get right that God's dealt with your heart about this morning. Take this time and focus in on the Lord. Respond to Him. When I pray, this altar's open, you come. Lord, you're good. I pray you'd speak to us, help us to respond to you. Teach us, give us grace. I pray in Jesus' name. God dealt with your heart, you come.
call us home one day. Amen? And uh, long for that day. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, pleasure to, to worship together this morning and grateful for that. I'm going to ask some of our men if they would help uh, take place so we uh, take their place so that we can uh, take up the offering as we leave today. Um, and just, uh, just want to encourage you um, and, and just thank you so much for the way that you give. You're incredibly generous and grateful for all that you do. And a lot of ministry takes place. A lot of it, unfortunately, you're, you're not even necessarily able to know all what happens and takes place, uh, at least this side of eternity. Uh, I believe one day uh, you and I will get a glimpse into...